This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You are listening to The Mauer Report, a live radio show that ventures into the mysteries of life, as well as the hot topics of the day, either political or business. I want to welcome everybody to the this evening's Mauer Report. My guest tonight is Carol, Kelly Ayers. No. Allers. Allers. <laughs> uh, pastor of... Um, where did it go? I just had it. Uh, the United Methodist Church there in Wilmington, North 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 Carolina. Boy, mm-hmm. I can read. I told you my writing is kind of scary. So how are you doing tonight, Car- <laughs> Kelly? I am doing great. It's a lovely evening here. Rain stopped, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's been kind of weird everywhere because like, what was it? Friday we had like three inches of rain here, and that was kind of scary. Yes. <laughs> you never know when I'm going to have like water in my front yard or, I mean, I live on the beach, so it happens all the time, but it's beautiful. It's a good evening. Glad to be here. <laughs> Living on the beach. Okay. Well, this, this conversation is going to go well. I can see already. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the guy living in, in Western Pennsylvania where the closest beach is Lake Erie and you don't want to go there because, well, it's Lake Erie and all sorts of fun creatures grow in there. Oh, no. Here I'm I'm about five minutes from the beach. So I love it. <laughs> so let's let's get let's get down to the nuts and bolts of this. What let's go back in time. I don't know. How far back do we need to go? When did you decide or when did you first hear you were gonna become a or think about becoming a pastor? <laughs> well, I grew up my father was a pastor. So I grew up a pastor's kid, um, one of those rebel rousers and very early on, um, probably when I was seven, eight, nine, my dad started introducing me to like Koine Greek in the Bible and Hebrew words and breaking down passages, and I was fascinated by it, about the history and everything. And then I was um, kind of walking through understanding Scripture, this big exegesis word that we use, which means looking at passages and all their context with him, seventh grade, high school. Knew I was on that track and freaked out and said, I don't want to do this. And took off in a whole other direction. <laughs> so I knew all along, but it took me a while to get to the point I'm at now. Well, how how long did the... the you said you said it. I'll, I'll go there. How long did it take you for the freak out to go for you? Well, I spent um, three years roughly following the Grateful Dead. Um, thinking that that was a good way to escape from being a pastor, that, you know, God wasn't going to be on a Grateful Dead lot, um, got totally messed up by that, because if you know anything about Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia sings a lot of songs about God. <laughs> Didn't expect that. And the whole scene in a parking lot, when you, I, I don't know how much you know about following the Grateful Dead, but you go from show to show, live in your van, 
sell stuff on the parking lot to whoever's coming to the show and then go see the show that night and then pack up and do the same thing again at the next show. And that whole scene became sharing food and sharing clothing and this whole community um, that was music and talking about spirituality. And so I didn't escape God there. So I went another route and decided to escape him through learning about every kind of religion I could get my mind around. And um, that took me to Spain and then Fez, Morocco, where I was staying with a Muslim family. And I'm um, thinking that that was a good place to escape this pastoral call. But I was there with um, Hami, who was my bodyguard in Fez. This was pre-9-11, like pre-any of that, um, in Fez and um, visiting some places. And I saw on one of the walls a picture of two hands. And I asked um, Mohammed who that was, and he said, you don't recognize your Savior? <laughs> I was like, okay, Jesus is here in the middle of this Muslim state and this Muslim city. And at the time, with the um, program I was in, the family I was with, I was praying with them five times a day, and I was just really searching myself. And that's when I decided that I would follow my call. And so from the time I graduated from high school until then, that was probably a good eight or nine years. And then I entered the Baptist Church and Ministry. That's that's quite that is quite a, a trip there, and I I don't I, I I mean I've heard I don't know that many people that have followed the Grateful Dead, but there's that's quite a community that does though, from what I understand. Like it is, yeah, it, it, it was a massive community. Now I did it before Jerry Garcia died, and they're still kind of doing it today. I think I'm not a part of that community, but um, it was I mean hundreds of people, and they have all their different little groups, their spinners and. Wharf rats and all their different little communities within, but when it came down to it, when you have people living place to place, it becomes a community of sharing and connection and music and love, and it was really beautiful. And I, in some ways, I miss that. But when Jerry passed away, we all moved to a commune in the mountains for a brief period, and that wasn't. I, I knew at that point I had to go somewhere else, and that's how I ended up going back to school and ended up in Morocco. <laughs> but it was it was wonderful while I was there. So okay, but devil's advocate moment though, you you felt mm-hmm. the call and you you ran from it and ran from it, yeah, and probably ran for. I'll say it one more time just because I feel like I'm missing something in there. When you started the study and all this other stuff, did you feel as strong as when you first heard it, or? Was there some some questions still? I think that every step I took away made me stronger in realizing that this is what I'm supposed to do. Like every like when I started studying different um, religions, I focused on the Abrahamic traditions, which the basic ones we know are Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. But there's also a whole plethora of them. <laughs> Um, that lead back to Abraham. And as I was studying those and then got into um, Hinduism and Buddhism, I just kept seeing these connections. Instead of seeing these reasons why I shouldn't be a Christian, I kept seeing these connections to what I felt was the fundamental meaning that Jesus was trying to share with us. And so, oddly, every step I took, tried to take further away made me closer to 
knowing the kind of pastor I want to be and the kind of Christian I want to be. So, but there had to have been, I mean, after nine years of being out of school, to go back to school had to have been a hurdle at some level. I mean, I can appreciate that just on the the nose of it. (laughs) Yeah, it very much was. (laughs) Although, and I'm going back again, because I'm just going to keep going to school for the rest of my life as long as someone will pay for it. Um, so I'm going back to Duke starting, I think, in the spring. But um, I, I think part of going back, though, because, I mean, when you, first, I, when you first go to school, you're just there to party, right, and to have fun and figure out your future. But when you're kind of figuring out what you want to study, it, it's more about that study and that debate and that journey. And I actually liked it a lot better when I knew what journey I wanted to go on. And my schooling was a little different because although I, one of my degrees is in English literature, my religion degree, which was the second half of it, took me through, you know, Spain following the extrication of the Jews and the Moors and then ended up in Fez. So it wasn't like a classroom experience yeah, that, that, at that point. That's, that, that's always helpful when it's not all book learning because I know that's problematic yeah. for me. I mean, yeah, me too. Myself. I have to experience it. I, I, I want. I want to. If I'm going to study Hinduism, I want to sit with a Hindu and and talk and discuss and 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 eat and share and feel all the sensations. I want to know what that's like because it helps me to find connections. And so that was pretty amazing. Although I do like to read too. <laughs> <laughs> so. What's one more question before we move forward here? What did your dad think of all that through that process of you going out and questioning? <laughs> I guess he, the- um, he actually, well, he actually um, is a history nut and um, and is really focused on, has always been focused on the context of our scriptures and the correlations between Judaism and Christianity. So he kind of started this idea in my head and I think probably when I followed the dead this was before cell phones or anything so he was like just call me collect every two weeks so I know you're alive you know and I'd come home in between tours and and I think he had a lot of faith that I would be okay I think he always has had faith that whatever journey I go on and I think sometimes other journeys have been more scary for him that I've been on than that particular one but he always had faith that I was going to be okay. And he's always, um, but this is a funny story I haven't said, told anyone. Um, when I was in high school, um, there was a moment we were living in outside of New Bern where there's this huge Wiccan coven. Um, and I told, came home one day, I had read some stuff in the library and told my dad I was going to start practicing Wicca and brought all these books home and all this stuff. And, you know, trying to rebel against my father because that's what you want to do in high school. And he was like, oh, that's fascinating. Can I read one of the books? You know, sit down, talk to me about it. What are you thinking? You know, are you going to, you know, have rituals? And and it was so frustrating because I wanted to do something that really made him angry and kind of went against everything he believed. And instead he was always like, oh, that's interesting. Teach me about it. And I think I learned kind of how I work as a pastor now and how I work with intersectional faith communities and stuff by his example. Instead of immediately being angry and trying to fight, I'm like, oh, okay, share your information with me. Let's talk. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think that le- that's a good lesson for everybody out there. Ask more questions, and that's why I'm here tonight, because I had more yeah. questions about a lot of things, and so that's a good lesson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's uh, go back to the tape prayer here. You fast forward for your college years. You're, you're finally graduated and ready to go out and quote-unquote the real world. Mm-hmm. Then what? Do you get? Do you go? Do you find a church right away? Um, or? Yeah. I, well, actually, while I was in school, I started. My father had a um, church that he planted in Emerald Isle, a Baptist church, and was cooperative Baptist, which they're cooperative and Southern are different. Um, I have. I was actually ordained at a small church way, way, way back. But uh, my first ministry, actual work, um, outside of my degree, was at my father's church, and I did, you know, youth children's ministry, and then. Um, was moved to a couple of different churches, ended up at a um, Southern Baptist-focused church, um, which I'm, I, out of kindness, I'm not going to specify which church that was, but while I was serving there, they decided not to recognize women in the pulpit anymore, and that they were not going to except for baptism or communion, the LGBTQIA community, and then they wanted me to sign a paper saying I believed in a 5,000-year-old earth, and I would teach creationism instead of evolutionism, and I couldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And so after 15 years of serving in different Baptist churches, I walked across the street, literally, to the Methodist church and sat in the back pew. And, um, which led me to getting a job in a Methodist church years later and where I'm at now. <laughs> well, that was quite the, the sentence there. Let's just be um, honest about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, I've had women pastors before, so that doesn't bother me, but yeah. I know it bothers some people. And I, I can't imagine semi-modern within the last bunch of years that a church would say, you know, that's probably not the best idea. Yeah, that that is that is the stance of the Southern Baptist Church at this time, is that women do not belong in the pulpit. And um, as we have seen recently with people like Beth Moore leaving the Southern Baptist Church, it's causing them more problems than they expected. But for a long time, they really didn't. They really have had the stance that men should be the leaders of the church. Um, because I was cooperative Baptist too there was some room there but and it is painful to be told because of the way you were born (laughs) that um you are not accepted in the call or your walk in life that your that your voice isn't important and that was very painful but also it led me to a, the Methodist Church, which aligns more with a lot of my beliefs. When I started learning about the sacrament and the way they view baptism, and I started, I keep saying I found my home because the questions that I had in the Southern Baptist Church for so long, as soon as I started reading all the materials I was getting about the Methodist Church, and I was going, this is the answer that I've been looking for, especially things like how they interpret Scripture. I was going, this is this is who I am. And so all of those years that I formed in the Baptist Church were great in some ways, painful in other ways. Finding the Methodist Church really gave me a place and a sense of purpose. And 
probably was always supposed to be the place where I'm a pastor all along. I just, it just took me a while to find it. <laughs> and yet, as a Methodist, we're at the cusp of this reality of our denomination kind yeah. of throwing, having a, a major temp- tetra tantrum over some things. Yeah. Yeah. It, I promise it wasn't my fault. I know I came along and it happened, but it wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's been building for before you became a Methodist. I mean, you may not have helped yeah. things, but... Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I can be a little controversial sometimes, I know. So. <laughs> but, but yes, we are getting ready to, it looks like, face a schism within our church, which... It's one of those things that happens with us denominations. <laughs> well, that, that's the that's the interesting thing that I you know as I was kind of um, still searching as we we're going through this. Pro- I mean, as I was going through this process, you just showed up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, how how does this all? Because we work so hard to build a congregation, and then mm-hmm. something I don't want to say political, but kind of for the lack of a better looking at it, comes along and kind of starts to tear that apart. That's got to be almost as much as frustrating as anything else that we come across. Yes. And and I don't know how many people who listen know exactly what's going on in the Methodist Church. <laughs> oh, but, I, mean, maybe, I, mean, I guess maybe we should probably... Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, we, we <laughs> probably should like touch on that. So um, a couple of years ago, we had a special called Annual Conference. The Methodist Church is global. We have churches all around the world. And when we make a decision to change our book of discipline, which is kind of like our rule book, guidebook, we have to do so as a global conference, as our, I don't want to say global, as an annual conference with the churches all around the world. And we had a special called conference, and the idea was we are already, you know, open doors, open hearts, open minds to our LGBTQIA community. But we did have two stipulations when it comes to the sacrament of marriage and to who can be an ordained pastor, elder, local pastor, you know, working within the church. Um, churches had begun to ordain LGBTQIA people. We even have a bishop in Colorado who is beautiful and serving. Um, and we thought we were headed before the pandemic at annual conference. We thought we were headed to accept to changing those two specific rules on marriage and ordination. Unfortunately, some of our church family um, who are on the more fundamentalist side were able to change that direction which caused an uproar, and then the pandemic hit, so we couldn't come together. So in the back rooms of our lovely United Methodist Church, there was, we believe, an agreement made, um, understanding that any agreement that was made has to actually be voted on in annual conference, which will be at the beginning of September of next fall, not this one, but next one. The agreement that it seems to be made has been made is that we will have two separate churches. One will be the United Methodist Church, which will be affirming and inclusive, and one will be the Global Methodist Church, which is the more traditionalist church. And that involves money and the ability to take your church building and property and all kinds of fun stuff. But when it comes down to it, it means that each individual church around the world is going to have to vote those churches are probably going to split. You're going to have some people leave, some people stay, and each pastor 
is going to have to state their stance on whether they're going to perform weddings or whether they're open and affirming. So this is going to be a fun year for us as Methodists. Like the last three years have been fun. This is going to be a fun year because we are coming to terms with how we feel about our rainbow siblings. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've been paying attention to this obviously, and I'm always surprised. I've a long time ago, I was learned, I was warned by a lawyer. Don't, don't worry about the meeting. The meeting is Mm -hmm. fine. Worry about the pre-meeting of people that are in that committee that has happened before the meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's when the deal's done. That's when it's all taken care of. And here we are. Mm-hmm. That's what you just described. That whole, and hopefully, I mean, I don't, I don't want people be angry about this. I just kind of want it. Everybody, of course, this sounds like kumbaya, right? Everybody get along, but mm-hmm. it's not going to happen, though. Sadly. Well, the the one positive thing with any church schism and this is how we have so many denominations now as this keeps happening, um, is that both churches, both sides tend to grow initially because they give a place for people with those specific beliefs and interpretations to find a home. So people who have not found a home in the United Methodist Church because we have not been completely inclusive— are going to find churches that are where they can come back to church because they've been gone for a while. And some of them have never been to church because they don't feel accepted. So they'll be able to find that place. And then people who have been questioning, especially during this uptake of turmoil, will be able to find a place in maybe one of our global Methodist churches. So hopefully everyone will find a place, but I am more focused on the United Methodist Church and the excitement I have for being able to, with open arms, accept our LGBTQIA plus community. I'm I'm looking forward to that day where it just is written in our Book of Discipline. Somewhere in there. (laughs) Somewhere in there. Or maybe not even written. Maybe that one line is erased which is kind of what's going to happen. Not added, but we're going to erase that one little section. I've got, I've got news for you. They're not erasing anything. It's yeah. Gonna, <laughs> there's it's going to no, be there, reformatted. In- there's no way that book gets any shorter. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. No, no. It'll be reformatted with, with explanations. That's very true. I spent a lot of time with the Book of Discipline. That's one of the fun parts about being a pastor in the Methodist Church. <laughs> they won't, nobody will allow that to be any shorter. Um, so no. let's take this back to the the, the broader picture, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, we're we're coming out of COVID, kind of, sort of. I'm not sure where we are with all of that. I mean, it seems to be spinning around with the different variants and all this other stuff. But we're kind of, well, we're in the middle of it still. I think. How has mm-hmm. that impacted your your ministry in your church? Because you probably were out for a while where you didn't have in person worship. So how does that all translate? We yeah. We were um, we were out and then came back together and then went back out again, um, and um, it was a fun adventure for many of our older church members. They now all have iPads and can Zoom with proficiency and um, are all about YouTube now, which may be a good or bad thing, <laughs> um, but we're back now. We have... Um, some regulations in place and spaces for those who want masks and no masks. But I think the the hardest thing has been church is about interaction. And um, we're seeing, I mean, 
our church is rather large, so we're not on the verge of having any big problems. We're just kind of coming back and trying to relearn how we meet with each other. Um, but we have had many small churches, you know, around the world, but and even our community that don't exist now. And that's been kind of sad. Um, seeing some of our brothers and sisters in their churches just vanish because they couldn't survive the pandemic. And that's going to be a hard thing for all of us to move forward because I think it's not stop. I think it's going to keep happening. Um, and it is a struggle to relearn how to be together again. I will say that because when you've been apart for 18 months, it's hard to figure out, you know, which pew you're going to sit in and who's singing and who's doing the sound. But it's also hard to figure out how to talk to each other in that caring way when everyone's agitated and coming with frustrations from the pandemic and all the worry and concern. It's taking a lot of patience and relearning how to do that. You know, I hadn't even thought about the how to reconnect on a personal level with people because my well my church is ton smaller than yours too so maybe mm-hmm. that's why I didn't see that as much but there's still some of that like I as, as you said that I got uncomfortable because there is still some of it that resonates as I try to like I said been searching through all this and so YouTube it's that's a, <laughs> YouTube <laughs> did you ever think you'd be muttering those words as it related to church no. Well, when the pandemic hit, I, I'm the youngest person on my staff, and I'm in my late 40s, so that'll tell you a little bit. So I was the one putting together worship services at first, trying to learn how to edit, and I was the one doing all of the Zoom meetings, and I was the one getting devotions on YouTube and Facebook. I mean, the other staff didn't even have Facebook, you know, some of our other staff. So I, tra- I was training staff, training church people, and learning all the ins and outs of the legal side of YouTube while being in a pandemic. So, yeah, and, and to be honest, we never had online services before this, and I never expected to be videotaped doing sermons and, um, you know, reading scripture and stuff each week. I'm a—and and same with TikTok, we can talk about that, too, yeah. but I am a— people person i i i when i am you know in the pulpit i am looking at eyes and making eye contact and feeding off of who i'm seeing and that's where my energy comes from and when it's just a camera and you it's a whole nother ball game (laughs) i was never meant to be a televangelist i (laughs) didn't think i ever would be because i don't like the camera i like the people more do you still do the camera with the people yeah, now 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 we're incorporating both, which I think is going to be great as we go forward. We're we're still recording services on Tuesday just because we haven't worked out all the kinks because we have a very old sanctuary. Our church is the oldest one in North, oldest Methodist church in North Carolina, so it's very old. So we we're trying to figure out cameras and positioning and microphones so that we can record live in service, and I think that's going to be fantastic to be able to experience the whole service. But um, and yeah, there. I have had people there recently while I'm doing things, but it's it's a different world. But I think I'm adjusting to it, and I'm starting to realize how that connection, I mean, it's kind of blown up for me. So I'm kind of realizing how important that connection is to 
not expect a person to be inside of your church, but to reach outside of the walls through, you know, social media really can make a difference in the world and make an impact. And that's one thing the COVID pandemic taught me (laughs) is that I don't have to stay inside my church. (laughs) It definitely tore down the walls. That's for sure. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) And if it wasn't for all of this, we wouldn't be talking tonight, right? Because if you didn't start doing YouTube and then TikTok and then here we are. So, okay, speaking of TikTok, I, I've got to rewind the tape on that for you because scroll on TikTok one day and you did a video of your dad about him looking for a church, which is when I started yeah. deep diving you. Now, I've got a very important question for you at this point. Has your dad found a church? Um, no. <laughs> we were just talking about that. I went to see him, I guess, yesterday, and we were just talking about that, and he's he's still struggling. And that's—I mean, that's the new. This has never been something he's done before, so he's still struggling. I mean, I keep telling him he can make the extra drive and come see me, but <laughs> it is a little bit too far every Sunday morning. So, hopefully, he will soon. And when he does, I will make a TikTok about it. I am sure. <laughs> I, I was going to say I have no doubts, but I—I I just, I, well, like I said, I scroll through them, but I didn't want to make sure. I didn't want to miss—you know—make sure I missed one somewhere because sometimes you do that. You get going too fast when you yeah, scroll. And he loves making TikToks, so he will find a reason anytime to make a TikTok with me. He's fascinated by it. It's, it's very sweet. Every time we get together, it's like, okay, let's make a TikTok. <laughs> That's interesting, though, because I, I, you know, we were just talking about how the different generation. It seems he's not. I mean, for him to be interested and willing to do that doesn't seem that generation. No. Well, I think I think once he saw the reach I was and the and the ministry I was doing. Um, and he started, we were on a mountain trip, and I think I only had maybe, maybe then I only had like ten or 11,000 followers, and he was like, this is great, what, what can we talk about? And he jumped in then, and so now, as it's growing, he's going, this, and I, we both are nerds, and if we can talk about things like the Greek language or, you know, break down the historical context of what Paul was talking about, we we do that at dinner table at the dinner table, and so the fact that I can get online and do it and people actually want to watch it freaks both of us out. It's the weirdest thing. Uh, it just amazes amazes me every day, and he loves being a part of it because it's what we do on any time we're together. So we're just kind of doing it in front of the world. <laughs> okay, so let's re rack at this point. Where can people? F- I mean, we did, we referenced TikTok and YouTube. Let's uh, give people those places to find you or how to yeah. find you. I am um, Pastor Kelly on TikTok, and that's Kelly with an E-Y. And I think the easier way to find me is if you do hashtag Bible nerd, I am most of those videos. <laughs> so, um, and then through TikTok, you can connect. I'm on um, This Pastor's Life on Twitter and working the, con- I'm trying to start the YouTube thing. It, I don't have a lot of free time, so but it's this pastor's life on pretty much all the other social media. You'll figure it out though. Because as we talked a little bit before the show, that that long, a little bit longer format would probably be beneficial at times. Yeah. I I have a lot of people asking me questions that I can't explain in three minutes. So I'm, I'm working on it. And if I had the time, I mean, I have a full-time ministry (laughs) that I'm doing. So if I had, you know, another five hours in the day I probably could but I you know my my actual church work here comes first and the TikTok and the YouTube and the 
all of that is secondary. Although, next week I am taking the entire week off because several of the pastors of TikTok were all getting together and headed to San Francisco to make TikToks and spend some time and connect and actually meet each other in person. So I will have lots of time then to figure out and talk to them about YouTube and who knows what will happen. I'm sure something fun will happen. I can just tell based off what I've seen so far, people getting ready for it. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about it. You might want to watch because it could get interesting, but there could be some videos to get taken down once we get back into reality. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I guess we got to pay more attention then. Um, So, now maybe I don't even know how. I'm just going to kind of make a statement and you're going to have to kind of fill in some gaps here for me or help me out here. Okay. Because, well, follow me for a minute. Um, my congregation's also a little bit older and being the younger guy, right. With, with a family. And I always hear all the time, we just need more younger people. I guess guess the question is, yeah, it sounds great, but how? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that is the question. That's the million dollar question for churches around And one thing that we are seeing, especially through social media now and through this pandemic, is the way it's not working for many people is to get a big rock band. (laughs) Um, That they actually, that I think that people want information. This is, you know, Google's out there, and they want, as far as people who I'm seeing, um, they want to understand like where our scriptures come from what was happening they want the background they want the language they want to know how we got from this point to that point and the trusting someone just spouting something off from the pulpit is not what the younger people want anymore you know they're not blindly going to listen to someone they research and i mean even things that i say you know, they go out and research further, and then they ask me these in-depth questions that my professors didn't even ask me. And I'm going, okay, let's go there, because they really want knowledge, not, and, and it's, and I think their faith, the, the whole idea of what everyone's calling deconstructing now, is the younger generation is taking what they were told and putting it to the test both in how they operate in the world and both how they understand our and how they understand scripture and you know whether it lines up with history and science um and that's important that's an important journey to go on because i believe that's how your faith grows but i think the the key is becoming first of all you have to be in the places where young families are and for me and during the pandemic that became tiktok <laughs> And then um, you have to, on top of that, you have to be willing to answer the hard questions. There was this gatekeeping that happened for a long time that I'm the pastor. I know all of that. I'm just going to tell you how to how to read it and what it says. And I think now is the time for us to start sharing our methods, the methods of our madness, <laughs> and showing showing people how to, you know, interpret it for themselves and that creates trust and it creates people wanting to come back for more. Or as my math teacher used to tell me, show my work. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. They like show your work and then I'll believe you. And, and I, I understand that because I think our church as a whole, not just the Methodist church, but church as a whole owes that respect. 
I think for a long time we've gotten by with just, you know, do what I'm telling you to, show up, give us money, and here's some pretty songs you can sing. And I think that doesn't play out to what Christ actually calls us to do, and I think we're being taken to task for it. And I'm enjoying that that's happening. I, I like the inquisitive nature of our younger generation, of my kids, I mean. And I'm hoping that in this deconstructing era and as we change the structures of our church and we become more open, I'm hoping that's a big part of it. I'm hoping we... And I'm... I'm hoping that's where we're going. I don't know the future, but that's what I'm hopeful for. Well, you know, I've, I fell down that rabbit hole, obviously, because they're kind of related on TikTok, the deconstruction rabbit hole of different people sharing their different questions and beliefs and all of that. It gets messy, too, at times. But the interesting thing to me is the major. Well, of course, the majority users of TikTok are on the younger side of things. So that, that skews this, too. But to see them asking those questions of, like you said, in your comments and all these other things and just asking them out loud is really, I think it's a good thing. Of course, some people will say, you know, it's going to be the end of the church because, you know, it's just going to be mm-hmm. the deconstruction of it. And then some people are calling it the revival. And that I think there, I, I, I lean that direction because as you deconstruct and you see what the core beliefs are, I think they're going to shine mm-hmm. through. I think. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? We as Methodists have a specific word that John Wesley gave us for this, and it's called sanctification. And it's this type of grace that, um, you know, we have provenient grace, which is the grace that's there before we even know God exists, and then we move through. But sanctification is this walk we take with God. And it says that we are never fully aware or understanding of everything that God is. But as we walk beside them, we learn more. And in that walk, we fall away and we come back. We have questions. We get things wrong. We get things right. And I think, although they're calling it progressive and new, I keep going. This is what, especially in the Methodist Church, everyone's been doing since John Wesley and probably further back to Martin Luther. You know, we've been looking at this walk with God as a constant growth and understanding and a mistake-ridden path where we have to figure it out. And so I think, I wish that we could move the deconstructing progressive to actual understanding sanctification, but I think it's been there all along, and I think the strongest churches and the strongest Christians have been doing that since the beginning of time. I think that's what the disciples did. I don't understand this. Oh, wait, now I do. But now I don't understand that. And I think that's the way of the Christian walk. I think it's scary to those who want to tell other people and control people through faith, because if someone's figuring it out on their own, they're not going to believe you But for so long. But it's not scary to me. It, it makes me excited. I, I don't want to tell people what to do. I want to give them the, the seed and let it grow and watch it grow. Well, you were saying that I, I thought about that famous meme, there's a stairway to heaven and a highway to hell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's just all that, uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't get anything else out of my mind at this point. That's all I could see is that meme. And I'm like, there's some truth in that though. It's a journey. And there you is. Have to, it's not necessarily the smoothest of, of paths to go forward through. It is not. And if it's smooth, then you're doing something wrong. 
if, if, if it seems too easy and you're just getting along and you think you got it right, that my lead pastor says it all to me. If you think you got it right, then you got it wrong. And I, that's true. I think if you, if you assured that you know exactly the method to get to heaven and to be a perfect Christian, you've got it all wrong, which is okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to learn the wrong things and then figure out they're wrong and get them right. That's what we want to do. Yeah. So, okay. This just popped up in my chat room. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it into a question for you. What are your core Christian beliefs? Um, I am, I think they start with this lovely thing called the Sermon on the Mount, which was the first, um, sermon that the first big message that Jesus gave to his followers. Um, it comes from Matthew five through seven. If you have a Bible nearby, <laughs> um, but it's where he creates this image of this upside down kingdom where he says the things like blessed are the peacemakers, where the meek will inherit the earth, you know, blessed are those who mourn. He just kind of creates this whole idea of those who are oppressed, will rise up and will not be in oppression anymore. And and I think that is the core of our faith, is to create this upside-down kingdom, to do what we need to do to make sure that at some point, and the idea of what heaven is and all of that's included in this, at some point, all of those are on equal footing and walking in love and all that ugly, sinful stuff, the fear, the anger, the hatred, the just the nasty stuff we do to each other, stop. And so the core of my belief is that my job is every day and every way I can to build this upside-down kingdom. It's not always pretty. It doesn't mean I'm always nice to everyone. I am. I want to be the sword. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I say some things that don't make everyone happy. But that's part of building this kingdom, is changing the way things are. And I think that's what we do as Christians. I think that's also what our Abrahamic brothers and sisters are doing. I think that's the movement the Jews are headed to, and our, our Muslim friends are headed to, um, our Sikh friends are headed to, is building this beautiful place where there's equality and, and love. Does that answer? Yeah, and I, I'm going to throw another, I'm going to throw another, I don't want to call it a zinger, but... It kind okay. of is. Um, based off the Sermon on the Mount, because it just popped in my head mm-hmm. as we were talking about some of these things. Because that is one thing, and then you've got some Old Testament things that don't necessarily align with some of those other things, because we, you know, we're mm-hmm. talking about oppressed people and all those other things, but there are some verses that people love to pull out and just throw. You know which ones yeah. I'm talking about. So how yeah. do you work through that? Um. <laughs> Well, the, the for me, it's kind of simple because it comes down to the way we see our scriptures. There are people who see the, the scriptures as the inerrant, handwritten word of God, like God took someone's hand and said, or put it in their mind, this is what you have to write. That's not how I view the scriptures. Um, and that actually comes from a newer fundamental idea of the scriptures, um, including the ones that our Jewish siblings gave to us <laughs> um i'll say gave in a light term because we kind of took them they didn't really give them to us but um the scriptures are actual for me 
stories of people written by either those people or that were written generations later of them trying to understand God and how they did it and what they got wrong and what they got right. That's what the collection of books that we call our Bible is. And there's poetry thrown in there and wisdom and some really weird, freaky stories. (laughs) But that is what our Bible is about. And what we learn from that is to learn from their mistakes and the things they got right and to see how they did it. And they're all from different time periods, different cultures, you know, different ways people thought. And they contradict each other. And then the general message is, We are trying to seek out who our creator is and what does that look like and how do we connect with our creator and connect with other people. And so if you take one verse that someone says out of that and use that to be your mantra or your, you know, fighting words, it's kind of ridiculous because it's like taking, you know, a quote that, you know, Benjamin Franklin said and said this applies to all eternity or a quote that, you know, William Shakespeare said. And I mean, you're, you're using someone else's life experience that they're just trying to share as the rule and law for all. So that's how I see it. So all in all of those passages, like especially those early scripture passages weren't even for us. They were for the Israelites to live in a world that we could not survive a day in. I mean, they, they, if, and I hate to say this, but if a white male pastor from a church here was in the society where that was happening, they wouldn't survive a week. They wouldn't be able to because it's so unknown. It's a different culture, a different lifetime, a different everything. So we can't, we don't live by their rules, but we learn and we grow from them. We have one rule. I mean, I think Jesus said something about this. That we have, you know, those basically two rules that love God, love your neighbor kind of thing. I think that's where we start. So the clobber passages don't mean a lot to me, except that it makes me angry that they hurt so many people. And they've caused not only internal torment, but They've caused us to lose some of the beautiful lights in this world to suicide and to unfortunately murder, as we've seen, because people decide to use the Bible to justify their own evil. Yeah, so there, that was lovely. That was a lovely place to go. <laughs> yeah, we, well, we, we got there. That's, I mean, it is mission critical to understand that, though. So, mm-hmm. You can, and then what the part that always gets me is the, I want to say dozens of translations that we've been through, yeah. through the years. Yeah. And then translations of the translation and, and it just mm-hmm. always makes me question the, it always made me, especially when I, you know, like, could you sit there and read the King James and then you'd go to the New International Version and it felt like you were reading a different book. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> let alone the lineage before that so mm-hmm. and then well i mean if you figure you have over 450 translations in the english language alone that doesn't include all the other languages and all of those translations come from bits and pieces 
of a dead, for the New Testament, bits and pieces of a dead language that no one really knows how to speak that includes slang words that have not been used since that time. So if you're trying to say something's inerrant and you don't have the original words, then you're kind of lost right there. But if you're looking at the whole meaning, if you're looking at the whole arc of the whole collection of stories and where they lead us, then it does have a powerful meaning that can change people's lives. And that's what happens when you talk to a pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's not good to leave me speechless, but it does, which is not good for the course of the show, but it's okay because that's how life goes at times. Um, (laughs) So what's the one thing, okay, what's the one thing about the, the, the church that I'm overlooking? Like, because when you go for most of your life, you kind of get into a habit routine of things. So, what what am I missing? Mm-hmm. What am I? What should I be paying more attention to? I one of the things that I wish more people did that I see the younger generations doing much better than anyone else has. And I see my what my with what my father we were just talking about him trying to find a church is that when you're choosing something because your spirituality and your faith are going to drive everything else in your life, um, and you know what you believe at your core it involves your morality it involves your connection to something higher than you it involves how you connect and work with others and how you treat others it's just the core of your being and if you're going to choose someone to teach you about that and to direct you and to guide you in that you need to make that choice wisely you need to shop around you need to listen to all the different voices there are tons of denominations and churches you can choose from you need to shop around and listen and find where you connect where you where you feel you are accepted and loved and then once you find that once you find that place that you can trust with your soul and your spirit you need to understand that everyone else sitting there is screwed up too like you know no one's coming to church because they're the perfect one they're coming to church because they're just as confused as you are and give each other grace to to be just as confused and screwed up while they're sitting beside you and that's the way we continue that thing i said about the bible being people who screwed up and got things right and just their walk it's also by learning by the person sitting next to you in church you know hey i i went through a divorce and this is how I screwed it up but this is how I got it right oh wow you know I'm going through a divorce like sharing those stories with each other and accepting each other's good and bad is what church is about it's about that community and I wish more people shopped around for the right churches and then allowed grace within the church they chose for people to walk with them that's an issue that again you're leaving me speechless, and this is not the time or place to do that, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> let's let's jump back to TikTok for a minute because I do have a fascinating question about that. What what made you yeah. jump? What made you jump on in the first place? Oh, well, this is hilarious. Uh, my some of my youth group in my church, you know, the T 
teenagers in my church had TikTok accounts and they wanted me to go on and like their videos because, you know, they want more likes. And then um, one of the people from our conference office, um, one of my friends, Amy, was making these funny TikToks and I was watching her. I was like, oh, that's hilarious. And I was liking her videos and I was just on there like watching. And then one day I decided to, I think the kids were like, you need to put something on there about what you do. Um, and I put that up and then, um, I put up shortly within just a few weeks, I put up a video of me skateboarding and my clerical robes and it went viral. And, um, I all of a sudden had like, and when I say viral back then, I had probably like six or 7,000 followers within a, like that short frame. And I was over, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And so I got on there just like innocently, like everyone else. And then Every time I put something up, I'm like, you know, I feel motivated to share this. And sometimes it's like, that's nothing. And sometimes it's like, it hits somebody and catches them. And here we are talking. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, as I say, it's amazing how that all spun. Like, it's amazing, you know, there's always the six degrees of separation, right? And then yeah. when you when you bridge that gap down in a hurry. Because yeah. of the well, the world's a lot closer now, but it's still weird when you start bridging it down even further. It it is strange, and it's strange now because I will go places like my doctor's office, and <laughs> someone will come in and be like, oh, "Are you the pastor on TikTok?" And then all of a sudden, I'm talking to all these people who live in my community, have always lived here, but I've never met, and it's hilarious to me because my kids hate it. <laughs> it's like what what happened here you know how did this become who my what my life is but it also is a wonderful place to connect and love and and share with other people and i appreciate the clock app for that as well as all of social media for that access that it gives me to connect and love and share even if it's a pain sometimes (laughs) (laughs) even if it can be ugly Uh, this is another follow-up question about that. Do you get? I'm, I'm going to ask it this way, and you'll know exactly what I'm saying. Do you get writer's block when it comes to ideas to post? Oh, I, not really writer's block because I like talking about the stuff. I like. I just went a couple of days. I go days where I'm just not feeling it, or I want to focus on my family, or I want to focus on something that's going on at church. So I'll go a few days at a time. I went. I think one month at one point where I didn't post anything just because it is um, the draining side of it is not posting. The draining side is handling all the comments. Cause I try to keep my comments clean. I don't want other people coming to my comment section and seeing people being disparaged or treated ugly or the nasty name calling. So I'm constantly deleting and blocking people who do that just to keep my community safe you know, in the comment section. And so the exhaustion is I can put something up and then I wake up to, you know, 50 or 60 hate comments that I have to delete and block and read through and then figure out how to help those who are part of the community I have on there get past that. And that's, I think, the most frustrating part of it and why I don't post at times. I probably go on every every day and talk about the Bible <laughs> because it's my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> but I, I, it, the, and, it, and it's 
you know, I, I, I am probably called Satan's wife, although I've never got a ring. I'm probably called Satan's wife every day and all those ugly things, and that's draining. That's the side that makes it hard. It makes me not want to post, but not the writer's block. Yeah, I, 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 sometimes I struggle, but I don't have, I don't know, I just do this show, and I don't, I don't find myself that interesting, so there's that problem. Um. <laughs> don't say that. I think it's fascinating that you just have conversations with people and, and invite them in. I think that is a very good thing to be doing in this world. <laughs> I, I, I find it fascinating. I, I enjoy it because, like we've just been talking about, it's this journey, and tonight I was able to open up and share a different part like I told you before, we talked to I, we talked we, me and the, the listening audience talked to a prison doctor last week and different things. And it's just kind of I don't know where it's going, and I don't I mean I know where it's been, but I don't know where it's going, which is kind of sounds like something that you'd appreciate. Yes, I always <laughs> am up for the adventure. Where there's a here I am, send me Lord kind of thing. I'm always like, and sometimes that isn't a church thing. It's just like, oh, you want me to go to San Francisco? Okay, I'll go there. You know it's I'm always up for an adventure. It's fun. It makes life interesting and and it grows you, stretches you. So we've got about two minutes left, which scares me because I don't know where the rest of the time went that we had. Uh, like I just looked over there and went, how did that happen? Um, so I feel like I'm forgetting to ask you something really obvious and I'm not sure what it is. Hmm. That, that's I good. I don't know either. Well, that's good. At least, at least the one didn't spring anyone, off your tongue. <laughs> if anyone has any questions, they can find me on TikTok and ask away. That's one of my favorite things to do is answer questions. So you can ask me on TikTok, and I'm sure I will share some of this on there too. So, well, oh, I know. I did. See, I did see a TikTok about sermon prep. Now, how often? Because uh, I yeah. know there's a book, a book of lectionary, and how often you just wing it. It was going to be a question I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I I I I like the challenge of the lectionary because I have to figure out how it applies to my congregation in that moment. So I do like that challenge. Um I occasionally have like things I really want to talk about. But um but I like pulling from the lectionary just because it's like, oh, this is a weird like I think like if the verse is like on something like circumcision, I'm like, okay, how do I make this apply to it's like a game almost, a challenge. So I do use the lectionary quite a bit, unless there's a particular thing I have to talk about that I feel like, especially my congregation needs to hear in that moment. That's going to be. I, I I do like the challenge, as you put it, kind of trying to figure out how that fits because I've been reading the lectionary lately, just kind of trying to see how it applies to me directly, and then back out the other way, see how you know. I actually, challenge. We're doing we're doing that for our Sunday school with all of our age groups this year. Or reading through the lectionary and doing the history and, and how it applies. And so I kind of gave myself that challenge because I enjoy it. I mean, it's there for a reason, so yeah. why not use it? <laughs> well, Kelly, I'm going to wrap, put a bow on this. Thank you again for um, coming on and enjoying an interesting conversation. I enjoyed it, so I hope you did too. I did. This was fun. Thank you for having me on. We'll talk again, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll see you out there in the social media world. <laughs> so, so have a good night and a safe travel to San Francisco if I don't get get a message to you before uh-huh. then. I will. Thank you so much. And, they, and there we go. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mail Report. Stay tuned for details on saving money at the Duck Pond Shop. I hope you enjoyed this report. Please subscribe so that you can join us again. And if you appreciate the show, leave us some stars or a review. For more notes from this show or other great shows, check out Mallard.com. A reminder, the views and opinions of the show are those of the host and guest and do not represent any sponsors, affiliates, or any other partners of the Mallard Report. Now for your money-saving tip. Promo code Mallard at checkout of DuckPondShop.com where you can get your t-shirt, coffee mug, and other great products. That's promo code Mallard at checkout, DuckPondShop.com. Until next week, stay safe and keep whacking. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.